This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. We believe the best way to build financial independence is by building multiple streams of passive income. The most proven way to do that is through real estate investing. So that's what we're here to talk about. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. I'm doing a solo episode for you guys today to tell you about some very exciting news for the multifamily investors out there that was recently published in a study. I'm going to provide you the links to this in the show notes in case you'd like to read these things for yourselves, and I definitely encourage you to do that. But in this episode, I'm going to tell you a couple of excerpts from this study. Once again, very exciting for the multifamily investors out there. But the headline is the U.S. needs 4.3 million more apartments by 2035 to address demand, deficit, and affordability. In this discussion, we're going to dig into what each one of those things mean and what they can mean for the multifamily investors out there. First up, a key finding is that there is a shortage of 600,000 apartment homes. So there's a total of 4.3 million apartment homes needed by 2035, and that includes an existing 600,000 apartment home deficit because of underbuilding due in large part to the 2008 financial crisis. And that's a quote from this article. And they really say about the deficit from the 2008 financial crisis, which we're still seeing, because in the wake of the Great Recession, the nation largely pretty much took a break from building new housing, particularly apartment complexes. But we pretty much stopped building housing in much of the country, and we still are experiencing that deficit today. Now, there are three states which represent a lot of this shortage in housing, and really excess demand is a big part of that. So the three states are Texas, Florida, and California. To quote the article, these three states account for 40% of future demand and will require 1.5 million new apartments by 2035. And for those of you checking the math out there, as you definitely should in this type of thing, so if 40% of the total demand we're discussing here in the future equals 1.5 million, that only works out to just over 3.7 million. So we talked about 4.3 million a little bit earlier. Well, you need to remember the 600,000 unit shortage as a result of the Great Recession, which adds up to 4.3 million units. And that's highlighted in the following quote from the NMHC president and CEO, Doug Bibby. Quote, the lack of affordable housing is holding our country back. Whether it is a multifamily residence, duplex, or single family home, we need a massive supply of new for sale and rental homes, including millions of new apartments by 2035. Making sure everyone has access to quality, affordable housing is a bipartisan issue, and the industry stands ready to do its part to help create the 4.3 million new apartment homes our country needs. So again, highlighting the future demand of just over 3.7 million new apartment homes that we need, plus the deficit of 600,000 as a result of the Great Recession. And I'm going to give you one more quote here from the president of the National Apartment Association, the NAA, Bob Pinnaker. Quote, 
The U.S. has undergone tremendously difficult conditions that have fundamentally altered our nation's demographics, but one thing remains certain. There is a need and demand for more rental housing. Put simply, we do not have enough housing. The U.S. must build 3.7 million new apartments just to meet the future demand on top of a 600,000 unit deficit and a loss of 4.7 million affordable apartment homes. It is time to reverse course after decades of underbuilding and instead pursue responsible and sustainable policies that will not only meet this demand, but address the missing middle and loss of affordable housing stock. Okay, so why is that a positive bullish sign for apartment investors? It's basically what we're saying here. What they're saying in this article is that we need to build all of these new apartments in the future for future demand. And we're also already short by 600,000 units. Now, if I could wave a magic wand and fix the world's problems, fix this shortage of, uh, shortage of housing, I would probably do it. But unfortunately, that magic wand doesn't exist. And I'm going to tell you one other thing that leads me to believe that we're just going to continue to perpetuate this housing shortage, meaning that we're not going to develop enough new property, whether single family, duplexes, all the way up to large multifamily. I think we're going to continue to see that shortage, particularly in the short term. Now, we can't really reliably predict out to 2035 what might happen. That's a very long time from now in the sense of developing new properties. But I think we're going to come short, and I think we're still going to have a shortage of housing into the future. And I'm going to tell you why. So one of the key measures of future new housing stock, particularly in the short term, now the short term is really the most reliable measure of new housing that we're going to see on coming on board. The most reliable predictor of that is new home builder sentiment. Now that is tracked and publicly available. And the most recent survey that we've been able to see came out in July. And I'm going to provide you a link to this but quote the beginning of this article, U.S. homebuilder sentiment plummeted in July to its lowest level since the early months of the coronavirus pandemic as high inflation and the steepest borrowing costs in more than a decade brought customer traffic to a near standstill, end quote. So as you've likely seen in your daily life and your investments and just everywhere in the news, inflation is raging, you know, interest rates are going up, and that is a double whammy to new home construction, at least in the short term. But it appears to me, at least, that we're not likely to see a retracement of interest rates back down to 0% anytime soon. And we're already 600,000 units behind. Okay, so anytime that we spend following further behind is additional ground that we're going to need to make up for in the future. So we had that 3.7 million 3.75 million shortage, rather, if you will, into the future with future demand. And we're already short 600,000 apartment units. Now, housing is relatively fungible, so we can combine apartment units and single family units because people will move in between them. It really just counts as a, a housing unit. And if we're not building new single family houses now, if we're falling behind now, then we're just going to continue to fall behind in the future. And I don't see any trends moving into the future that's going to cause us to massively overbuild so that we can catch up from our current deficit and then meet the future demand. So going back to the home builder sentiment article, quote, the National Association of Home Builders slash 
Wells Fargo Housing Market Index fell for a seventh straight month to 55, the lowest level since May 2020, from 67 in June, the NAHB said in a statement on Monday. Readings above 50 mean more builders view market conditions as favorable than poor. So we're trending downward, heading rapidly rapidly toward poor. Now, I think another important part of this is what did economists think ahead of time? Did economists see this coming? Did they predict that home builder sentiment would fall as precipitously as it did? No, no, they didn't. Quote from the article, July's reading was below all 31 estimates in a Reuters poll of economists, which had a median expectation for a decline to 65. Moreover, the 12-point drop was the second largest in the history of the series, dating to 1985, exceeded only by the 42-point plunge in April 2020, when most of the country was under a COVID-19 lockdown, end quote. So in my mind, my interpretation of all of these data here is that, okay, into the future, we're going to have a housing shortage of 3.75 million units just based on future demand. We're already short 600,000 housing units based on pausing new building in the wake of the Great Recession. And at least in the short term, home builder sentiment is so low due to the cost of materials increasing interest rates, and the fact that that's driving people away from the demand for new housing, we're just going to continue to fall further behind on our future goals to build new housing. Now, why is that good for multifamily investors? Well, as multifamily investors, we're investing in scarce assets. Now, no matter what you invest in, you should be investing in scarce assets. There are folks out there who invest in gold, for example. Well, they invest in gold due to its scarcity and then hence perceived value to them. And if that's you know what, what floats your boat, then hey, go for it. There are cryptocurrency investors out there who say there can only be 21 million Bitcoin. So I'm going to invest in that due to scarcity, stocks, everything. There's always scarcity. It's kind of what economics is based on is scarcity. And we can see into the future that we're not doing enough to address the scarcity. New home builders aren't doing enough to address the scarcity of housing. And that's just economic forces. Really what that means to me is further upward pressures on prices and rents. And that's just what economics is going to dictate when supply is short of housing. And I believe the indicators are that it will be in the long term, prices will continue to rise. That's just kind of an economic fact. So when discussing the first article, when it came to the shortage of housing into the future, There were three states in particular that were highlighted in the article, Texas, Florida, and California. Now, personally, I invest in Texas and Florida, but I do not invest in California. It's very important to not just consider the supply and demand aspects of our investing, but also the legal environment in which we operate. And Florida and Texas have significantly better legal environments for property owners than California. Stick with Landlord-friendly states like Texas and Florida, and there are many others around the country, maybe lean away from California because supply and demand isn't the only thing involved in the equation here. You might wonder with demand for new housing falling or just waning a little bit, is demand for single-family rentals, is that going anywhere? Is that waning? Are rents falling anywhere? 
Well, there's a recent study, and I'm going to include a link to that in the description of this episode in the show notes that indicates that single family rental markets show little signs of cooling. So no, it's not cooling. Demand for rentals is not falling. So to quote the article, quote, monthly rent prices for single family or SFR properties at the end of the first half of 2022 increased at a double digit pace year over year, even as new SFR listings jumped by nearly 58% over the same period, the report shows, end quote. So what we're seeing is that interest rate increases have increased the supply of houses on the market. But when we look at the actual days on market, we're actually returning to more of a pre-pandemic type of norm, back to when things were kind of normal and there wasn't this massive frenzy to rent properties. We're just seeing properties sit on the market as long as they used to. We're not heading back to any kind of massive flood of inventory into the market. We're going back to the past normal. We're not in the new normal. We're in the normal pre-pandemic. So we're back to the pre-pandemic supply type of trend. Interest rates have gone up. Properties are sitting on the market a little longer and things are a little bit more available. But we're not seeing that translating to falling rents. And to further drive that home, one last quote from this article, quote, we're pretty confident that we won't see any drastic dip in rental prices over the rest of 2022, said Brandon Lewowski, director of research at House Canary. Quote, there's an imbalance between supply and demand. So landlords, including institutional investors, they still have the power to determine the prices right now. So there's still a big imbalance between supply and demand. Those factors are still keeping values and rent prices where they wound up during the pandemic. So overall, the data still indicates to me a bullish case for real estate investing, rental property investing, multifamily investing, both in the short term and the long term. We have a massive housing shortage all across the country, both now a shortage that we've built up since the Great Recession and into the future. We're not doing enough and the builders aren't doing enough to combat that shortage because the economic conditions don't allow them to do so. Their costs are too high and the demand for new properties just isn't quite there. So we're just going to continue to fall behind the future demand and add to the scarcity of properties. So that will keep values high in the long run. That will push values upward, put a lot of upward pressure on values. And we're seeing in the short term, in the single family rental market, that the rents and values have been well supported, supported by the data, supported by the market. So I see a bullish case for real estate investing, both in the short term and the long term, and the data still bears that out. Look at the data, look at the links and the articles. I'm gonna put them in the show notes. You can check them out for yourself. I think you'll come to the same conclusions I have, but if not, hey, reach out, let me know. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something from this discussion of the data. Keep the long-term in mind, invest in scarce assets, invest for cash flow, build multiple streams of passive income, and you'll hit that sweet financial independence. Once again, this is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, and I'm your host, Taylor Boat. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back on Thursday with a new guest interview. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. 
right now. I hope you have a great rest of your Tuesday and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.